From the 15th floor of the Energy Building, this is GNR Airtime, the podcast that explores the current trends from emerging and well-established industries hosted by the lawyers of GNR. This podcast is for general guidance only and does not constitute definitive advice. episode on GNR Airtime. My name is Alamanda. I'm an associate at GNR. I have with me my colleagues Bagus and Rossi who are also associates at GNR. Hello. Uh, hi. Hi everyone. Um, on today's episode, we're trying out something different. Tying into GNR Airtime's previous theme on um, startups or industry talk, today we wanted to talk on a more specific issue within the industry uh, which is um, women representation in tech spaces. Uh, so when we say women representation in tech spaces, we mean as either as founders of startup or as um, on the VC side of things. So today we have with us Andri Wardani. Hi Andri. Hi, hi Andri. Hi, hi Rossi. Hi Bagus. Hey guys. Hi, hi. Andri. Hi. Very, very nice to have you here. It so, is. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so just to introduce uh, Andri's, Andri's background a bit. Andri was actually one of us. Uh, she started her career as a trainee associate at GNR. Um, after GNR, she was an executive secretary at Amnesty International. After that, she worked at Ventura Discovery uh, where she ended her role as a senior associate there and now she's working um, as an associate at Golden Gate Ventures, a, a venture capital firm at, um, in Southeast Asia predominantly. So obviously at GNR we have worked with a lot of VCs and a lot of startups, very great ones obviously, uh, you including, you were a client at, at one point. <laughs> so even though we have to work with a lot of VCs and startups where we understand that there are women employees or leaders, we just want to shed light on whether there is enough representation of women in the tech space. Okay, so maybe before we get into the discussion, we can first talk about where you're currently working, which is Golden Gate Ventures. Could you please maybe share with us a bit of a background on Golden Gate Ventures and essentially what is your role at Golden Gate Ventures? Okay, for sure. So um, I, I guess Golden Gate Ventures has been around uh, for, for quite a, a while. We're one of the earlier funds in Southeast Asia. Uh, the first fund was, was closed in 2011. Um, and it was, it was, we, we really started as an early stage, uh, VC fund, um, kind of focusing on early, uh, seed, uh, pre-seed, pre-A and A. So it was initially a $50 million fund, uh, has now, I guess, is in its third fund already. So we have about 60 plus portfolios across the region. The mandate is technically Southeast Asian focused, uh, but we do have the opportunity to opportunistically explore opportunities in uh, Asia Pacific, the United States, uh, some in East Asia as well. So we do have a number of portfolios in those regions. Um, and in terms of sector, uh, we're sector agnostic. So what that means is we can technically explore any kind of uh, business venture in, in the tech scene, but we do have a specific interest in consumer facing businesses. Um, and that I believe is, is pretty reflected in our list of portfolios. Um, and I think one that you guys might particularly, uh, know is Mapan, whose acquisition by Gojek, well, I handled while, while in Indiana. Right, so, right. so yeah, and Bagus, I know that you were involved in that deal too. Um, mm-hmm. happy, well, days. So I guess, happy days, happy days, honestly, happy days. <laughs> so right now we're on our third fund. Um, we're still pretty early on in our third fund. It's a $100 million fund. Uh, we've deployed about 30% of that. 
So we still have a long way to go. Looking into looking into a lot of deals in Indonesia, Vietnam, and, and Singapore particularly as of late. Right, Angeli, that's actually the perfect way to introduce uh, Golden Gate. So, uh, what about your role as an associate? I, I guess it's it's an exciting life to be to be a VC, and that is generally how it is for the industry. It's not particular to this this role. My job on a day to day basis as an associate in in a VC firm is meeting a lot of people, meeting a lot of people in startups. Uh, meeting people in the VC space, but also kind of building that network outside of tech that might kind of correlate to our portfolios or any kind of investment mandate in the future. Um, and it's really a 50-50 split between kind of deal sourcing, making sure that, you know, we find the best startups first before anyone comes in and kind of taking care of those startups once the investment has taken place. So we actually do take the time to manage our portfolios, you know, helping them fundraise again, helping them if they, they knew, need to actually hire someone new for the team, help them strategize uh, their business going forward. So it's, it's really, it's really exciting. Um, it's almost like it's almost like being a little bit of a founder, but in multiple sectors all at the same time. Um, and and I guess a good portion of that job is actually having coffee with people. So it's it's actually an ideal job if you have a large social quota. Sounds like it's the perfect job for you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we have been seeing a few great woman-led startups uh, right now in Indonesia, either as founders or board members. Uh, but this is what I think, broadly speaking, there's not a long list that you that can easily come to mind. So based on your experience so far, do you think that this is true? If it is, uh, why do you think there is a of women entering the tech sector. And also maybe just to add to that question, I mean, obviously we work with a lot of these organizations, but we don't really, we are not really in the industry, right? So this is literally just a layman's view of, you know, we see something, um, we see a, a, a budding industry in Indonesia and in the region. And we're just trying to pinpoint whether there's something, uh, whether there is a lack or whether we need some more women representation um, there. We're interested in hearing from you because you you're in the industry and you're, you work with a lot of these organizations, um, whether that statement is true at all. And if it is true, and we're hearing probably in some regions or some markets it is true, what are usually the reasons behind that? Is it more structural? Are there just not a lot of female founders out there? I, we, we don't believe that. Or more systemic access issue to funding. So probably stuff like that. We, we just wanted to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, um, I, I guess inherently I have to agree. Um, I, going into my list of startups that I've met just last year, which comprised of almost a thousand companies, um, there's only a handful, honestly. They, I, I can name like 10. Um, out of the almost 1,000. But of course, the issue in, in, in Indonesia kind of differs from what you've been seeing in the U.S. I think historically speaking, tech has always been like a very male-dominated industry. And it's, it's very, very true, especially in the beginning of the industry itself, where most of the students taking engineering, most of the students taking computer science programming are men. Um, and, and I believe in the U.S., the, the statistic used to say that there was like about 90% of, of men in, in those faculties. But yeah. going now, I guess, if, especially if you look at the numbers here in Indonesia, most of the science-based faculties are predominantly female. So I, I don't believe that there is kind of like a lack of women in the space or women in tech. It's just that we don't see a lot of them translating into founders which is something that's really, really interesting and kind of a big question in my head as well. Um, mm. Just because like, well, if, if they're taking and if they're studying those subjects, then where do they go if not kind of this route? 
But yeah. I think there's a lot of issues, not necessarily issues. There's, there's a lot of aspects that go into that. Um, one of which is, yes, historically, there is a lack of female students, which is not true anymore. But, you know, the fact that it's not true anymore reflects, it, it requires time to be reflected in the professional landscape. So what, that, what does that mean? Um, you know, people graduating this year, they probably won't be like a, a founder, a startup founder in the next couple of years. They might need, you know, three, four, five years to actually go down that path and, and become a founder by that point. So I think there is going to be like an increase in the number of women in the next couple of years just because of that new statistics. But other than that, um, I feel like what's really interesting is also the introduction um, of people studying science-based um, um, subjects into the startup space itself. So a lot of engineers go into uh, a more kind of stable job, kind of working for, uh, you know, companies that are in kind of that space, you know, in telecommunication and companies like Microsoft, like Google, but not a lot of them kind of go into startups. And the yeah. reason why some people are introduced into startups, it, it does kind of come from male dominant spaces. What does that mean? It means, you know, people who are into gaming, people who are into gadgets, into IoT hardware, into programming, those are usually the guys that go into startups. And until today, the number of women in those spaces are also not a lot. So it, it may also be that, you know, yes, these women are capable and yes, they know about tech, they're an expert in their field, but they might not just go into startups. They might just go into other kind of more stabilized, more industrialized kind of fields. Um, and, and I feel like an, a lot of that also kind of plays into this uncommonness of women in the industry, which I've, I've been reading and I've been taking the time to kind of really mull it over um, for the past couple of months, actually. Uh, why, why is having a female in the industry so special? Um, and I think if you read articles, even in Indonesia, about female founders, about people who work in tech that are women, um, it, it becomes somewhat of a novelty. Uh, and yeah. it becomes so specialized just because of their gender. And and while that is good, and it is what is kind of, I guess, what you can cluster as representation, it becomes kind of not great as well, just because there's such a novelty. And being a novelty is, is really hard. Like going into a room where it's a room full of men and you're the only woman there and everyone looking at you, it can be intimidating to a lot of people. Um, so I think that that kind of plays into it too yeah definitely and also probably on that last point i mean i think it kind of goes both both ways right so it is intimidating for you but also on the other side there is some sort of a more of an expectation to you as a woman um to perform better or to be just be exactly. on top of your game a hundred percent because you're the one who has made it there um yeah, exactly i mean if you, if you can pull a couple of threads there i think probably this is a combination of a couple of things something that is more structural or cultural if you will that we also see in other practices as well and other industries or other sectors even in the law firm industry i can safely say so i think we are working towards a way where i think probably what you're saying is these women are more open now to science-based education and also i think to add to that would also be have to be entrepreneurial skills as well because i feel like probably half the people who launch startups they're not uh, tech startups they're not probably engineers um it's a combination of the engineers and the entrepreneurial side so i've always been interested also as to why i mean just looking from a very 
layman perspective, like why I don't think that entrepreneurial mindset is necessarily cultivated as much within women's circles compared to men. But we can go forever because yeah, for sure. I mean, again, as as, as you said, your your portfolio is mostly consumer goods, right? I think I read somewhere that I mean, women do make up the majority of the purchasing power. I'm interested to see why that does not translate to the supply side as well. I think what's what's interesting is I there there is kind of like a lack in women in in tech space in general. But if you look into the different verticals, right, there are actually a higher percentage of women in what is traditionally a female-led uh, industry or space. So if you're looking into like direct-to-consumer, makeup, skincare, fashion, um, mm. education, these are the things that there are a lot of women in, um, which which I think, it, it again, begs the question of, you know, why are they only in those sectors and not in others? And again, it, it has that kind of like historical... Um, bias that that people feel like oh you know i'm kind of i'm kind of um expected to go into a certain route rather than others and that is kind of hard for some people to kind of um to fight against the biases or or whatnot but but also what's interesting is you know having these spaces that are predominantly male right now like hard tech for example or um big data that doesn't have a lot of women in it um actually read in, in, in Harvard Business Review the other day um, that most women who are sitting in board members, they have a less overconfident male CEO. And that's super, super interesting for me because what that means is just because a lot of women traditionally are questioned when they enter a male-dominated market, you feel less, first of all, you feel less confident, but also at the same time, you get to question yourself a lot more and kind of mm. question whether your theories, your, your, your thesis are correct, just to make sure that everything turns out well. You know, for, for a lot of females who do get a lot of questions for them and, and for them to actually having the time to have to think about, rethink about what, what their thesis is like, you know, what they actually want, how do they actually want to do it to prevent anything from going wrong. It, it kind of, it, I wouldn't say that it prevents them to be a founder, but at the same time, it does translate to overconfidence while as a founder as a startup founder especially it's a high risk industry you have to you have to be confident in what you're building you have to be confident that your business is going to do well in the future and though like the risk you know that is high so it might be a little difficult psychologically for some women to actually jump into those fields as compared to men that do get questions less and have over time built that confidence to to really kind of believe in themselves and believe in their businesses so it's, yeah. it's, it's that's, that's an interesting aspect, I believe. But yeah, but I think that's really interesting. So I think pr- probably two points that come to mind was um, when, when you when you spoke about this. One, I think it's I think it goes back to that issue of I think the one we discussed in the beginning that there is a difference in how men and women approach things, um, for better or worse. Uh, it, not not none is not not one thing is better than the other. There is a some is a different way in how women probably methodologically approach an issue or approach a problem but also on the flip side of things i think i read somewhere um and that this is probably not true in this region definitely i think it, I, I was reading something um in the u.s uh, from a u.s um article i think one of the things that i was really interested to find out was that it's very interesting how in a meeting between a vc and a women and and founders and potential um, startups male tend to get questions more on the 
big ideas type of things, while female tend to have to prove more on, on the very technical and detailed part of things. I don't know what came to the conclusion, how they came to the conclusion in that study, but there is some sort of a, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as saying as bias, but there is a difference in how the outside world probably approaches a female founder. And that can be, again, that can go back to our previous discussion on how that would be colored by a lot of different reasons. And it will probably be different in every country. It'll probably be different in every region. So it's always a push and pull between the challenges that you put on yourself as a woman, uh, how you grow up, you probably have some internal struggles and how to overcome your confidence. But also at the, at the, on the flip side, from, a, from your environment, there isn't necessarily a a pillow for you to land on or a, a very cushy environment for you to just present yourself out to the world, nor that there should be. Um, it is a competitive world. Um, we're not saying that women should have that some sort of chi environment for them to step out. But I, I think it's a push and pull between these two factors. So I think Bagus has some data on that. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. So this is just some numbers that we found uh, from our research prior to this discussion. So last year, the U.S. female founders raised only 2.8% of the total venture capital raised in the country. I think that's a very low number. Similar number of 1% actually. You know, 2.8% or at least 2% of the entire market is obviously tiny, but that also relates to the previous point where there is actually just a handful of female founders in the U.S. So from from what I from what I understand in the last year there was only 28% of founders in in the US are actually female. So it's it's also a matter of probability where where there's a smaller pool of female founders will definitely get less chance of funding in comparison to a large pool of male founders. Um and 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 that in itself is I wouldn't say that there's like a funding gap issue, but I would say that it's it's just because of that probability, there's less likelihood for women to actually raise that capital. It's just because there's just not enough of them in the market yet. So what's, what's interesting here, I, I've, in, in my opinion, at least, if you have a 50-50 between male and female founders, and then like the probability is still like 2% for, for women to actually get funding, now that's a funding gap. But if there's only 28% right, yeah. of women then that's also a tiny portion, right? And, and I guess funding rounds is also like going through a funnel um, where, you know, the number of companies that gets like a larger, larger stage or like larger checks in the future, it gets smaller and smaller where, you know, for seed investments and seed firms uh, like Ventura, for example, like we look into thousands of companies every year. There's just that many. But if you're looking into series A, if you're looking into series B, the option gets smaller and smaller. Um, and, and because of that probability, then it gets harder and harder for women just because of the lack of in numbers, um, it's harder for them to actually raise that capital. But an interesting point is when I was still in Ventura, other than Grab, of course, like their highest funded startup and obviously mm -hmm. the one that presents the best IRR is, is Zilingo, which is female founded. The founder is actually only 28 years old, if I'm not mistaken. So, right. so that's just to say that, you know, there's not an inherent difference between a female-led and male-led. It's just that just because there's not a lot of female founders in the market, um, they don't actually get access to, to that funding. Localizing that a bit, are you aware of um, a similar um, figure um, within the region that you work at, Southeast Asia or probably Indonesia? Are the numbers similar or do, do you know, um, or do we have data on, is there even, even a data um, identifying female founders in the, in the industry. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in my own kind of database of my track record of meeting uh, startups last year, 
you know, which I mentioned was almost a thousand. There's about 10 female led startups that I've met. Mm -hmm. And that's just the ones that I've met. Um, it, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, they're funded or not, but that in itself is a tiny, tiny number. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and even then it's, again, it's limited to the verticals that are historically female, um, yeah. like, like healthcare, like education, um, D2C, makeup, fashion brands, things like that. There is not a lot of them in deep. I've only met one in my entire history of working as a VC. I've only met one CTO that is women, uh, that is female in, um, the big data space. So, so that's, that's actually tiny and it's similar to the figures in the US, if not even smaller.